great to be with you. It's a great joy for me to worship with you, Grace Chapel. I want to send a greeting to the East Lexington uh, campus. And Pastor Dana, you want to give them a round of applause? I want to encourage you to be salt and light. I want to encourage you to make disciples of all nations. So we're grateful to worship with you as well. Join me as we pray together to our great God. Father, we thank you so much for the privilege of coming to your house to worship you, to lift our voices to you, to lift our faces to you, to lift our hearts to you. And as I speak now, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. May you receive the glory and may you build up your church. In Jesus' name, amen. I was born in Chicago, Illinois, the oldest of three boys. And in our family, I was the one who could not do math. Now, the stereotype exists that all Asians are good at math. <laughs> but I happened to be the one who could not do math. And as one of the probably few Asian Americans in our town, it was embarrassing. <laughs> and so what do you do as, a, as an Asian American who can't do math? You go to college and become a history major. <laughs> I still remember the look on my extended family members' faces when they asked me, Matt, so what are you going to do? What are you going to study when you go to college? You know, I have doctors in my family. I have computer scientists, a vice president for Motorola. What are you going to do, Matt, with a history major? And I still remember the looks on their faces. <laughs> so as a history major, we read a lot of different books. And one of the books that we read was Thomas More's book, Utopia, written in 1516. He tells of a fictional place, an ideal place in many ways a place where everyone worked, a place where you could go to a storage bin and find all your food. You could go there and you were expected to take only what you needed. It was a place where you didn't have to lock your house because you knew that people wouldn't come in and take your things. It was a place where everyone had health care. And I'm sorry for any attorneys in the room but there were no lawyers because everyone knew the law. But we know living today in our time, there is no utopic place. There is no utopia. There is no perfect place. But in our passage today that we'll be looking at from Acts chapter 2, the author Luke records for us a place that in many ways was ideal a place that God had blessed, a community of believers where life was happening, life abundant. The Spirit of God was present, and he was working and active. So won't you turn with me there to Acts chapter 2. We'll start at verse 41. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Luke records, Those who accepted his message 
Peter's message, were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I'm not here to give you a message about church growth, at least not numeric growth. But God has a word for us about the church becoming united, the church becoming mature in Christ. And what does that look like today? What does that look like in my life and in your life? How are we as the body of Christ to come together and to be more like our Savior, Jesus. Well, if you look with me to verse 41, it says, those who accepted Peter's message were baptized. What happened in the early part of chapter 2? We know that the Spirit, the promised Spirit that Jesus said, I will send you my Holy Spirit. Well, the Spirit came. The Spirit filled people's hearts. They began to speak in different tongues. Later, we're told that Peter preaches a message to this rowdy group of Jews who don't want to believe the message, but the Spirit of God cut their hearts. They repented and believed, and 3,000 were brought to the Lord. That's the community. That's the people of God that this passage is talking about. So when we get to verse 42, they, we know who they is. It's the church. What do you do with 3,000 people who just convert to the Lord? What do you do with them? What did they practice? How did they live? I'm so glad you asked. Let's see. Let's see what they did. So it says they devoted themselves, first of all, to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. They built their church on the apostles' teaching and fellowship. First of all, the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching was done in many different ways. First, people would gather around like we are right now, and someone would come to the front and read the scriptures. They would simply read. The assembly would listen, and they would glean from the Lord's word. They would also hear lectures. Some of us may be thinking, okay, I'm going to tune out now. But lectures, yes, lectures happened where instruction was given. And lastly, proclamation of the word, just like we're doing right now, the preaching of the word. And in these ways, these early believers were committed. They devoted themselves, number one, to the apostles' teaching. Do you believe in this book? Do you believe in the power of this book? If you have a a book that looks like this with actual paper inside, would you please raise it in the air? Do you believe Grace Chapel in the power of this book, for it is God's love letter to us. 
And he tells us of this great story of redemption, of a sinful, sinful world being defeated, where Jesus comes and he saves us from our sin. Well, this early church was devoted, them, they devoted themselves to this book, to these words. I was a pastor in Colorado for several years before joining the faculty at Gordon-Conwell. And in one of our decisions as a church, we decided to support a mission in China. And so as the lead pastor, I was asked to come on this trip. And so they asked me, so Matt, can you prepare one or two hours worth of material? I was thinking to myself, easy. You know, I, I, let's, let's do some study for uh, the book, through, through the book of Nehemiah. I can give us a, a lesson on community building for the young Christians there. And so I prepared about two hours worth of material. And so I get there and they say, this is Pastor Matt from Denver, Colorado. He's going to share with us about the Bible. And so in my church, if I prepare one hour's worth of material, it's more than enough. Some of you know where I'm going with this. <laughs> By about 30 minutes, people, are, people in my church were starting to scratch their heads. At about 45 minutes to 50 minutes, people started leaving the room saying that they're going to the bathroom, but I don't see them again. <laughs> and so I thought two hours would be more than sufficient, and so we're plowing through the scriptures and in about 45 minutes, I'm starting to get a little tired. At about one hour, I need to use the restroom. <laughs> and they asked me, where, where are you going? I said, I need to use the restroom. And in a united voice, they said, sit down. <laughs> You've only just begun. And for the next several days, for hours upon hours, I went book by book teaching these young believers the word of God. They were hungry. They were starving for the bread. The bread, not the physical bread, the spiritual bread that we all desperately need. They were hungry. They were starving. Oh, church, are we starving? Are we hungry? Are we devoted, committed to this great book? The early church models that for us today. Secondly, they were committed to fellowship. So when you hear the word fellowship, what do you think of? We can have a dialogue today. I'm not the only one speaking. Fellowship. What word comes to your mind when you think of fellowship? Food. Thank you. That was the word I was looking for. Food. When you think of brothers and sisters coming together, yes. So how does that happen? How does that happen? How does fellowship happen? Fellowship happens when we share in a person or thing. That's, that's the definition. Fellowship is sharing in the cause of a person or thing. Now, as believers in Christ, we know that fellowship is not always easy, is it? I'm not perfect. 
I, I would imagine that you're not perfect. And so when you gather a group of imperfect people together, there's what? Imperfection. And this writer, Heather King for NPR, she says this about what she experienced at church. She writes, nothing shatters our egos like worshiping with people we did not handpick. The humiliation of discovering that we are thrown in with extremely unpromising people. Ouch. People who are broken, misguided, wishy-washy, out for themselves. Well, people like us. It's not easy sometimes to fellowship. But the reason why the early church was able to fellowship, to share in a person, they shared in their common bond in Jesus Christ. Take a look around you, won't you? Take, take a look to the side, to the, to the left and the right. I don't know if you know this, but we're, we're family. This is probably my second or third time I've been in this building, but I'm your brother. I'm the long-lost brother you don't know about. I'm, I'm your brother. And we share in this person of Jesus Christ. We fellowship around him. We fellowship around what Jesus has done for us. We fellowship around our common blood. That no matter what educational level or race or ethnicity or culture we come from, we share the same blood. And that is the fellowship. That is the fellowship that these early believers understood. So how did they practice fellowship? We see that in verse 42 as well. To the breaking of bread and to prayer. Breaking of bread. Yes, it means table fellowship. It means gathering in each other's homes, eating together. But it also meant the Lord's table as we come together to remember what Jesus has done for us, his body and blood. The table unites us. The table brings us together. It also says that the early church was focused on prayer. If you read in Acts chapter 3, you know that there were set times for prayer. People would come to the temple to pray. They would gather also in each other's homes and pray. Prayer was more than just individual, me and Jesus. It was Jesus and us. People would pray together through the word. They would pray together sharing each other's deepest burdens and problems with one another. I remember years ago when I was candidating for a church, I was uh, wanting to be an associate pastor of a larger church, and so I, I went to this church, and this pastor, one of the pastors, comes up to me, and we were both standing on the curb waiting for our ride. And he gave me one of those most uncomfortable glances. You know the glances where someone looks at you like this. <laughs> and he looked me up and down. So Matt, how many hours a day do you pray? That was the first question he asked me. Hours? I was startled. Hours? I think in minutes. No, how many hours do you pray a day? And he was getting at something very deep. 
very deep. He was penetrating my heart. God was saying to me, if you want to be a believer in Jesus Christ, how could you not fellowship with me? If I'm the Lord of creation, how could you not fellowship with me? If you are part of the body of Christ, dear church, how could we not commune with God and each other? The early church understood that their pillars were the word of God and fellowship. The fellowship took the form of breaking bread together and eating together and praying together. When's the last time you prayed with someone seated next to you? This is the church. This is the picture of the church. And because these, church, these people in the church were committed to these things, the word of God, fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer, what happened in their lives? Look with me to verse 43. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and held everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. This is a community that is awe-inspiring. It's something that the world was waiting to see, a place where people were selfless. Can you say selfless with me? Selfless. A place where miracles were done. A place where people actually sold their land and gave to a common pool of money. This passage makes us uncomfortable, doesn't it? Did you get a little chill on your arms? Ooh, I got to sell my land and my house? My property? For them? It makes us uncomfortable. But it's the spirit moving in their lives where they were able to see the need around them, that God opened their spiritual eyes to see beyond their immediate circumstances. I grew up a latchkey kid. Anyone know what that is? It's a kid whose parents work all the time. And so on Saturday morning, mom and dad would leave the house around 6.30 or 7, which meant the whole day was mine. The whole day was mine to watch TV. Saturday morning cartoons, are you with me? Yeah, Saturday morning cartoons, they were my favorite. And I didn't watch Superman or Spider-Man or Batman or any man. I watched a show about little blue creatures, three apples tall. Yeah, the Smurfs. And from a young age, I had developed this theology of this mushroom village. Did you know that there are over 100 different Smurfs? They each have a name. Who's your favorite? There's Brainy. Anybody identify with Brainy? There's Lazy. Anybody identify with Lazy? There's Hefty. There's Greedy. There's Jokey. There's Papa. But there was only one girl 
Anybody know what her name was? Smurfette. But as you watch the show, you get to see a microcosm of the world. They all had one major gift, and they came together as a community to live out that gift in community. What's your gift? Are you blessed? Has God given you talents that he wants us to exercise in the life of the body of Christ? What is your gift? Some of us have the gift of hospitality. Some of us have the gift of encouragement. Some of us have the gift of teaching. Some of us have the gift of counseling. What is your gift? And as we come together as a church and we participate in things like Serve Day, I want to commend you for that. I want to encourage you, keep growing in selflessness. Selflessness, not selfishness, selflessness, because we see here in verse 43 that everyone, the world was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. They gave their possessions away. They were looking at the world around them, and just as Jesus did, their stomachs broke when they saw people in need. Nancy Ortberg, the wife of John Ortberg, tells a story about his daughter where she came home and saw that her daughter had written something on, the, on a sheet of paper after a Sunday night gathering, and she wrote this. Help me not to be okay just because everything is okay with me. Would you read that with me? Help me not to be okay just because everything is okay with me. Now, not, not everything is okay with us. I, I don't know about you, but I'm a broken person. I struggle with sin. And yet God is calling us to be a people, a community, where we see the need around us, where we stop to ask each other how we're doing, where when you ask someone how are you doing, it's not just a, another form of high, but it's really a deep concern for that individual. How are you doing? And if we really answer that question, it may, it may take all day to answer Can you take a look around you again? We are the people of God. Take a look around you. It makes, it makes introverts like me very uncomfortable uh, when I'm asked to look at people in the eyes. But, you know, take a moment to look around you. Do you know the person seated next to you? Have you asked them their name? Do you know where they're living in this community? Do you know what they do for a living? Do you know what their interests are? I'm here to encourage us to be the body of Christ that this early church understood, to be a selfless community. Well, what happens when the church is selfless? Look with me to verse 46 and 47. 
Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Do you enjoy, do we enjoy each other here at church? And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Christian community is contagious when it's selfless. How many of you know sickness? Have you ever experienced being sick? We all know that. When I was a pastor, I had one uh, member of my church who was a physician. He had two little kids, and he would say, you know what I do, Matt, when my kids are sick? I, I, I don't know. What do you do? If one kid's sick, I take his spoon, put it in his mouth, and I immediately put it into my daughter's mouth. Oh. You do that? Yeah. Why? Because I'm not going to prolong my suffering. <laughs> because I know that my daughter's going to get sick. It may be a week later. It may be two weeks later. But she's going to get sick because he's contagious. I'm not giving you any parenting tips today. <laughs> but look what it says here in verse 47. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. These people were contagious. Their lives were contagious. Their selflessness was contagious. Their joy for the Lord was contagious. Their love for the word of God was contagious. Their ability to cross cultures and love one another was contagious. Their ability to pray together was contagious. Their transformed lives were contagious. And that's the kind of community that isn't just a utopia from someone's imaginary concept in a book. It could be a reality in the people of God today. Do you believe that? We can be a community that is selfless, that tells the world that we live differently from you. Isn't it attractive that we live like Jesus? Wendell Berry is a novelist and farmer, and he was walking in a field with his friend Wes Jackson in the Midwest, and he saw this plant that was taller than all the rest in this group of what he called Maximilian sunflowers. One was a lot taller than all the others, and he thought, oh, I better go see what that's all about. And so as he walked toward that group of plants, he saw that as he came closer to the plant, it was, it was taller physically, but it was a little slouched over. The leaves had withered, and it was definitely unhealthy. And he told his friend, this plant, the reason why it's unhealthy is because it's actually on the outskirts on its own. But if you bring that plant and you uproot it and put it right in the middle, it's going to grow straight, it's going to grow healthy, and it's going to be exactly how it was meant to be, living in community. I would imagine in this group 
here. There are some of us who are on the outskirts looking in, where we're lone ranger Christians, where we're on our own, we're isolated. We don't really talk to anyone about our struggles. We like to keep private. But I'm here to tell you that the Word of God says that there's no private Christianity. We are to live in community. And to become healthy, we have to share each other's burdens. We have to talk together, live together, eat together, commune with one another. I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey. Some of us are doing really well in the Lord. Praise God. Continue to grow. Continue to mature. Some of us are, don't, don't know Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior. Some of us are somewhere in between. But the early church reminds us of what true church is all about. Christian community is contagious when it's selfless. You want, anyone want to shake my hand? Well, I'm sneezing spiritually. You want to shake my hand now? Christian community is contagious when it's selfless. May we become selfless people. May we look more and more like Jesus. May this community called Grace Chapel become ever more selfless as we go out into the world and make disciples for Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this word that makes us uncomfortable, for the challenge that you call us to, to live differently from the ways of the world. This is impossible in our own strength. It's impossible in our own power. But Holy Spirit, come afresh on your people. Renew our spirits. Unite us around the table of our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to go and live lives serving one another rather than seeking to be served. And by doing so, we will model to the world what they're longing to see, people who look like you. In the powerful and precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we all pray. Amen.